Well, it turns out early sobriety can be a real bitch. I, uh, one of the problems that I have is when I get excited about something, there, there's a kind of an odd belief that people have about addiction, which is that it's a disease and that it's a, it's a sickness that, uh, you know, people who drink too much and gamble too much or use drugs are really, they're, they have an illness and it, it's because of a, they're soothing some kind of deep-seated bad feelings, and th- that may very well be true and probably is a huge factor. But it's actually often when you're full of energy and healthy that you're most drawn towards whatever your vice of choice is. If there is something that you, you know, people who love to smoke, for example, often love to smoke when they're having a good time with friends and, you know, talking and enjoying their conversations. It's a great time to have a smoke. I've noticed that with a lot of friends that smoke. What I've noticed with myself, you know, think about when you want, when people want to go out drinking, it's usually because they're actually feeling good. They're feeling high energy. They want to go out and have some fun, you know, so it's actually often a sign of health physical health uh, to want to reach for things that make you feel good. So there's a duality to it. Anyway, I've noticed that when I'm feeling low and depressed and bad, yeah, sure, that's definitely a time when I start to get the itch to drink. But I actually think that it's much more challenging when I'm feeling great. Like when, and this weekend I was actually feeling really great because I'm working on some really exciting things with Galaxy Born, you know, and I'm really close to launching something really awesome with this, um, working on that today. And, and just the pieces of this epic, you know, futuristic space opera world, they're coming together in excellent ways and I'm just so excited and when I get that feeling I think and this would be a great time to celebrate with a drink so one of my favorite authors Joe Abercrombie has a series of of novels in which they're they're fantasy novels that take place in a kind of renaissance era type fantasy world and there's a character named Nicomo Casca, who is this flamboyant mercenary who wears big hats with feathers in them. And he taught he's he's a boaster and a braggart and he's a total rogue. He's a he's just a total piece of shit. Like he'll do anything for money. And uh, he, he his whole goal in life is to get money from people to fight, but never actually fight and instead send other people to fight. And he has this really flamboyant personality, uh, and he's voiced by this magnificent audiobook narrator, Stephen Pacey, in the in the audiobook novel. So by, it's the first Law trilogy, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. They're absolutely fantastic, and uh, truly, I learned so much as a writer from just reading Abercrombie's prose. He's like, I think he's one of the best writers in fiction. 
But this character, Nikomo Koska, is also a drunk. And his big problem is he's a really good mercenary leader in that he's he's very good at selling his services and getting paid big money and doing just enough to satisfy the client, but not so much that he actually winds up in a battle where he gets killed. So he's he's to, he's a total coward. Actually, he's a lot like what mercenaries really were actually like in uh, Renaissance Europe. They they did as little to fight as possible, which is a huge drawback of cell swords, probably in any era. But uh, so anyway, the narrator is always as the way that the way that he writes Casca's inner dialogue. It really resonated with me, and it's really hilarious. Because in one of the books, Casca is on the wagon. He is trying to stop drinking because he, he literally was a, a homeless drunk, you know, in the gutter begging for any for a dime just so he can get a drink. And uh, he basically winds up getting hired for this job and he has to stand up straight. And he's actually hired for this job by his his former. That's a long story. But uh, this really badass mercenary leader, uh, Monscaro Mercado, um, she's just really badass chick that led, basically took over his company and kicked him out. And now she's hiring him back for a job. And so they're kind of like friends, but former friends turned rivals. And she demands that he get, he dry up and get sober for the duration of this mission and all through the book, he'll just be in a in a meeting where they're planning some kind of uh, attack or battle or something, and he'll just see someone like a bottle of wine on the on the shelf somewhere in the room, and he'll just mentally be saying a drink, a drink, a drink, and, and like, and it's so funny because it's exactly how I feel a lot of the time. I I think of that character when I was reading that book. I was very much deep into drinking and it was like yeah this guy is uh, a lot like me and uh and it's it's like that it's like uh i get excited i get happy i'm thrilled the more energy i have the more energy i have the more that little voice starts saying a drink a drink a drink when it's summer and it's things are happening and it's there's probably some unconscious beliefs I need to unpack. Uh, I, I've, I have formed an association, and to be fair, I think we pretty much all have in this culture. We have formed an association with summer and outdoors and fun times with drinking. And so for me, it's like life, you know, they say, you know, know your alcohol triggers. I feel like my alcohol triggers are freaking everything that's fun. If it's fun, it's an alcohol trigger for me because I immediately think, wouldn't this be great with a beverage? So apparently I have a lot farther to go than I thought. So I, I had a pretty big relapse last night. I uh, It's the brain is an amazing, powerful thing. If you you can weave some pretty fascinating rationales to get yourself to do something you really want to do sometimes. And, uh, well, I mean, on one level, it's a rationalization, but on another, it is true. I pretty much decided I wanted to experiment a little 
it's like this. I'll be thinking about having a drink. And lately, my response to that, rather than to say, okay, well, this is that's not really in line with my goals, and that's not what I want, and I should journal about this, and blah, 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 because all that is very tough, difficult work. My answer lately has been to say, you know what? Uh, I accomplished a lot. I, you know, I've had I've had months of sobriety, and and after all, my purpose in the beginning was I'm going to cut back. I never, you know, I never started out with the decision that I was going to quit drinking forever. It was only when I did the program that I felt that that was my path. I don't think I ever fully committed to that though, but. Lately, I've just been thinking that that is, you know, maybe it's, maybe I should go back the other way. You know what? Maybe I should just start drinking again and see if now it's different. Now, maybe it'll be different this time because this time I have perspective. You know, I've, I've detached a lot of those, those bad habits, right? Which were binge drinking. You know, it's not college anymore. I'm not doing keg stands. Like there's no need to drink so much at a sitting, maybe I can actually drink like an adult for a change. And what happened was last night I went to the store and I got a 12 pack of White Claw because there's no law when you're drinking the claw. And in accordance with that custom, I drank half of it. I drank six, six drinks. And that's after not drinking, well, see, I drank last weekend not that much, but I had a, a couple. So over the last month, I've had a couple, a couple of times that I've given in to the temptation, which is a sign that, you know, the creep, the creep of problem drinking is coming back, which means something else is not, something else ain't working. And I, I will say that drinking is a, it's a very different experience now because I've, t I've done this probably five or s four or five sessions like this over the last, you know, three or four months, I would say, you know, a long stretch of not drinking. And then like one night of kind of just experimenting with it. And, you know, the thing I really came to love doing, especially with the COVID shutdown was, well, that's such an excuse. This was well before the COVID shutdown. I enjoyed playing video games and drinking because they're like the ultimate escape. Both of them together are like, I just get drinking. It, it enhances the experience. Oh, I hate that I even said that, but, but that's what it feels like. And uh, But here's the thing. I don't really enjoy it anymore. I sit down, it used to be, it used to be that I would get my favorite drink and I would sit down to play my favorite video game and I would just get lost in it for a whole night and I'd play till five in the morning and I'd just get really drunk and then binge eat and, oh, it was terrible. And last night it was like I wanted to do that again without telling myself that's what I wanted to do. And so I sat down and I had my drink and I started playing one of my favorite games, Fallout 4. 
And then I realized, no, no, I'd much rather play Mass Effect 2. And then I played Mass Effect 2 for a while. And it was fun, but I played that game many, many times. And so I'm like, no, I want to go back to Fallout. You may be asking, why don't you play any new games? Well, that's because I don't want to form this association with new video games. So that's why I've made a commitment. I don't, which, you know, hey, it's something, okay? It's something. So I realized within about an hour that I wasn't really enjoying any of it. It wasn't making me happy to do this. And I wasn't even enjoying the video games that much, you know? And part of it is because I think what's happening is my actual life is becoming more interesting to me than video games. And I'm not knocking video games. I love I love games. I consider them a great art form uh, that will one day be recognized as such, just the same way that, you know, theater and comic books and television series and film all eventually came to be recognized as not junk food for the mind, but actually a, a potential space for a real art form. I think video games will reach that status one day as well. I think they're close, but they do have that addictive nature about them that is, that's problematic, I suppose. Um, I, I'm not saying video games are addictive. I'm just saying it's a different it's a different kind of thing, right? You don't watch a movie for eight hours straight until the sun rises, typically. Um, so anyway, I I don't find myself enjoying that experience that much anymore. I don't find myself, so why do I do it? There's another great character in the First Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, the best character in the trilogy, at least until the recent book. Uh, and that would be Inquisitor Glockta, who is a cripple who was tortured for a year in a dungeon, and now he's a dungeon torturer. So, uh, but he has this, he, he actually has, ironically, kind of a good heart deep down underneath all the layers of his misanthropy and his just twisted nature, there's a part of him that feels compassion for people, which is extremely ironic, given that he's an inquisitor that tortures people. But he has this phrase that he always says to himself, because he, he does this job and he hates it. He hates doing it. Uh, you know, he's, he's mostly apathetic about inflicting pain, or at least he sort of, he thinks he's apathetic about it. But like every now and then, there'll just be a particularly nasty part of his job that he's doing, or he'll be doing something unusually cruel that kind of even surprises him. Or he'll actually feel something for one of his victims and be like, oh, geez, maybe they've got a point. And he always kind of says the same thing to himself. Why do I do this? It is a fantastic line. I mean, he, it, it, he weaves it through the entire first book and and it comes it, it pays off in the end in a really excellent way. Uh, it's but yeah, it's it liter and it's a brilliant, brilliant philosophical question because it's a question a lot of us ask ourselves in our lives in various places. Why are why do we do this? Right? And I, I love that he asks he basically said, Why do I do this job of being this torturer, you know, this inquisitor for the king? Why do I do this? Um, 
I mean, he's basically like, he's not like as much like, he's not an inquisitor in the religious sense. He's an inquisitor in the political sense. He's more like a secret police than he is like, a, like an actual, like when you think of the Spanish Inquisition, you know? But yeah, he always asks that question. Why do I do this? Well, I felt like I was asking that question on the couch last night when I'm playing this game that I've played a thousand times and I don't even get that much enjoyment from anymore. Because, you know, I just... And I'm drinking and it's... I mean, it, I mean, look, there's a certain level of it feels good, but on the other hand, it feels crappy. I'm like, why do I do this? Why isn't really important beyond simply, I mean, it's important to uncover whatever unconscious associations and beliefs you have with a negative behavior or vice so that you can release that block. But beyond that, the real, the real, the, the why is just not all that important. The how is more important. How do I move past this? So I've had a really interesting experience lately. I sit there and I kind of, I kind of analyze the experience as I'm having it. And that was one conclusion I came to last night is I am really, I'm becoming more interested in what my own life has in store for it than this fictional life in the video game. You know, there's something so fun and rewarding about leveling up your character and collecting your favorite weapon in the game and customizing it and then meeting the characters that are your companions and getting them to like you. And it's like you build this kind of fictional life in a video game world. And then it's, but, but it's nothing. It doesn't really exist. And I think to myself, I don't want to build a life. I don't want to put all this effort into building a fun life and not have it be an actual life. So I'm sitting there drinking and I'm thinking this is what this is the realization I'm having and yet you know it's still difficult it's still it's the prep there's still a pressure alcohol you know it's that salve it's that bomb that relieves that tension and I had a kind of stunning realization last night I realized that I am in a constant, I have got to figure out how to be relaxed and at peace. I don't know what I have to do to do this, but like I, I feel like when I'm drinking, it is the only time that I truly feel relaxed and my mind feels sort of liberated. I, I was thinking last night, I'm like, I have got, I have got to make it my mission in life. You know, Grant Cardone always says, you know, don't move the target, increase action. If you're falling short, don't reduce the target, increase your action. Well, the target is having a great life in sobriety and, you know, being, being able to relax and enjoy my life in sobriety and I'm falling short of that target it's not exactly a mathematical target so but for the purposes I'm 
falling short of that target. What do I need to do? And I, and I, I don't think beating myself up about drinking is going to do it. I, I think what it is, is I've got to find, there's a variety of things that lead to my drinking, right? That's the point. There's like five or six things when I'm feeling good and happy and I associate it with fun, when I'm feeling low and depressed, when I'm under stress and pressure. But one of those is, is the most pressing. One of those motivators must be the most pressing reason that I reach for the bottle. And I feel like that's the one I should just, I should just double down, uh, just attack that one with massive action and solve it. Solve it for good and all. Solve it. That is what I need to do. And I thought, what is that thing? And while I was drinking last night, so I don't know how reliable this is, but oddly enough, when I'm drinking, I feel like I'm better able to listen to my own intuition. The, you know, all that doubt and self-criticism and I can't do this or what if it doesn't work, all that just goes away. And instead, I can just hear what I intuitively think about something. And the intuition I had last night was the number one thing is like I can I am just never. How do I say it? I'm just never fully relaxed. Now that has been improving lately because I, I've been applying some techniques such as, you know, deciding on the one thing I want to do today, such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary. That's the one thing rule. I have been applying that. That's been successful. I've been working on repeating successful actions whenever I see them. And I have been look I've been working on deciding that when this one thing is achieved or you know and a cup maybe a couple other things once those are done i am done for the day there's a point in the day where i am done for the day and i am not going and i'm not to be thinking about oh i have to do this or i have to do that or i should i should be doing more of this right that's the rat that's the trap that i'm always in and that's what i've been breaking out of lately and, and i have to admit i've had a couple of really amazing evenings like uh you know just just night before last i had a great time just talking with a my longtime friend for just hours we just talked about you know he's got a new sales job and we just talked about sales technique and just dreams and goals and all kinds of great stuff and i couldn't help but tell him a lot of what i'm learning with uncle gc and what I'm doing on my sales funnels and things like that. So and that was a great evening. And part of it came from, I literally, it was Friday night. And I said, you know what? I accomplished my goal for the day. Yes, there's tons more things I could do. There's tons more things I could write. But this is what I set out to do. And I did it. And now I'm done for the day. And I'm going to seek out some fun and some enjoyment. So I, I text my friend and I was like, you want to do dinner? He's like, yeah, let's do dinner. And I made it a point to go over to his house. And even though I got my typical, you know, instinct to be a hermit, um, but I'm like, no, you got to show up. Always show up. You said you're going to show up, show up. That's how you win in life. And that is what I have learned. And that is what I'm doing my damnedest to apply. And it was a great, it was a great evening and I was relaxed and I had fun and 
played with the kids and, you know, they're little monsters, but they're pretty cute. Actually, no, only one of them is a monster. The other two are pretty sweet. They're all nice kids. Anyway, I, so I had a good time. So I'm getting there is my point. But I think that's the lever I've got to move is I have to be able to give myself permission to relax. But there's a deeper layer to it, which is it's, it's that tension. You know, I have that kind of tension of, it's like this nervous energy. And maybe it just is, I really do think that a lot of creative personalities that I look at that have fallen into drinking and drugs, it's, it doesn't really surprise me. Because I think when you have a creative personality, there's just so much, there's so much going on and there's, and all of those big ideas come with a lot of big fears and doubts. And so I think that a lot of creative personalities are in a constant state of being caught between their beautiful, amazing ideas and their deep fears and doubts about themselves and what they can do or whether the world will accept them or not. I don't know, whatever they're, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast, I think. I think it's, you know, Maybe I'm putting too much of an emphasis on artistic types, but I consider myself one, so I just relate to that example more. So I almost think it, it's a self-medication. I think I probably have self-medicated. I will say this, and maybe, you know, I, I catch myself sometimes only saying the things that are negative about alcohol, but the truth of the matter is, there are also times where I get some, I get a really great breakthrough in my writing when I'm drinking. And that's not to say that drinking is great creative fuel, right? Because I think that's its own kind of trap, but there is something there. And I think what it is, it goes back to what I said earlier. It, it turns off the inner critic. It makes the inner critic go to sleep long enough for your real ideas to just flourish. Now, this is a brief, this is a very limited and brief benefit when drinking because that's only in like the first couple of drinks. You know, it's a central nervous system depressant. So as, as one of my favorite characters in Stranger Things says, I need vodka to think it's a central nervous system depressant. So for that for that brief window there's a couple great ideas you can get and it's because the inner critic goes to sleep now the downside is that you keep drinking and then you just become a drooling idiot who thinks he's a genius and i'll never forget last like towards the end of last year i i have one of those one of those three or four drinking sessions i was talking about well i had one and i got pretty drunk, and I decided I had the best idea I'd ever had, ever. I was going to rewrite the ending to Game of Thrones as a fan fiction, the show, as a fan fiction, and fix the ending. Right then and there, I, I sat down at my computer, I'm like, I'm going to write this. And I start writing the ending that I think should have happened with Game of Thrones. I do actually think I could have wrote a better ending, but... That's not the point. I was certain in this moment I had 
the perfect ending. And I started writing it and I just pounding away at that keyboard and I just genius at work. And then I wake up the next morning and I start reading it and it was a bunch of nonsense. It was just a rambling Jon Snow is uh, he's he, he's the king of the north. <laughs> There's nothing in there was of any value. And I and I was I, I was like privately embarrassed. There was no one to see it. Now there is, but there was no one at the time to know that I had done this. And yet I was still sitting there kind of embarrassed. I'm like I just this is what they talk about in the 30-day sobriety solution, the alcoholic king as they put it. There's that magic moment with drinking where it convinces you that you're a genius and all your dreams and wildest fantasies are going to come true. And it it's couldn't be farther from the truth. So anyway, there is a slight benefit is, is my point to creative thinking with drinking. I can't deny that. I can't deny that there are times when I'm really stuck in my story. I'm really stuck on something and I have a few drinks and it just, bam, it, that goes away and I figure it out. And I've even written down a couple of those ideas and they're pretty good and I'm pretty happy with them still. And then every once in a while, I write a crazy Game of Thrones fan fiction that makes no sense to anyone and is uh, like something out of the mind of L. Ron Hubbard, you know, founding a religion. So I don't, so I'm not saying I should continue, I should actually use alcohol to help me get ideas. I think what I need to do is identify why it is that I am able to kind of make those breakthroughs while drinking and ask myself, how can I get that effect in sobriety? What can I do so that, what can I practice in sobriety that will help me access that same creativity and freedom and be able to have those breakthroughs without getting drunk and acting out and giving in to vices, you know? There's a part of me, as I put it, it's like, I just want to strip down and join the natives sometimes, you know? That's... I just want to like go off into the wilderness and you know that's my metaphorical description of just giving into every temptation I have and just spending my life drinking and going to clubs and just doing whatever I want. And and then there's another part of me that's like no I I have these goals and these dreams and I'm in these ambitions and I have you know, I want to make a difference in the world, and I, I have a duty to do that. So, but sometimes planning and discipline and willpower and all those things, they just aren't very fun. Can I just be honest with you? They're just not very fun. Spontaneity is fun. So I just, it's like if I'm not drinking, I am, it's like I'm locked up all the time. You know, just like so tense. So I've got to figure out, that's the lever I have to move. How do I, how do I get really damn good at de-stressing and releasing that tension and allowing myself to be spontaneous and creative and free 
every day, a little bit every day? So that is the question. Yes, one more Garrett confessional for you. This is my confessional, I guess. But now, to be quite honest, I don't plan to share every detail of my life on this podcast. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. You know, I've been podcasting every day and I took up that challenge. And one reason I've decided that's so important for me is, well, I should say I've been trying to podcast every day. My commitment is to, and I need to deliver. I have been doing that because I have spent a great deal of my life not being myself and not living my truth. And this is a way for me to start doing that. Um, But I do think there's probably, you know, I don't think I need to bear every element of my soul in public. And I don't think anyone else does either. I think, so I don't know, but I do know this. This is one of the central, I don't want to say problems exactly. I guess it is. It's one of the central problem. It's one of the central challenges in my life that I am working on. And it is a big part of my journey as a writer in fitness, as an entrepreneur. It's a, it's woven into everything. And I want to share that journey with you because I know that there have to be those of you out there who are experiencing similar things. And I don't have all the answers, as you can very well see. I thought I had this thing licked. I really did. You know, for a good five or six months last year, I mean, oh, there was a good five or six months when most nights of the week I didn't even think about a drink and I didn't even want one. So repeat successes. 30-day sobriety solution was a success. So somewhere along that line, I stopped repeating that success. But But during that time when I was riding high, you know, the novelty of sobriety, (laughs) because it was a new thing after 15 years of drinking, there was a really exciting element of that. And uh, I thought I had it licked, thought I had it in the bag, you know, and I mean, I, I didn't totally think that, but well, you know how it is. You think you've got something figured out and then you figure out you don't. So I'm still working through it. And I hope by sharing my story, um, I can help someone else and, uh, and capture, capture the journey because I know that I am in the middle of that journey and I'm curious to see what the end will be.